Welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. From piecing to quilting and everything in between, this podcast brings you tips and techniques from the experts and fun stories from quilters just like you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Quilter Circle Podcast. I'm Ashley Huff, and today our special guest is Amanda Murphy. So thanks for being here, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Of course. So why don't we start off and have you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, I came into the industry through fabric and I design patterns. I'm actually um, a, a spokesperson and expert for Bernina. I design quilting collections mm-hmm. and embroidery collections for OESD. I should say the fabric is for Benertex. And I design rulers for brewer sewing. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much like everything about quilting from the fabric and colors to the quilt designs to quilting itself. So I like it all. Perfect. Well, we're definitely going to get into sort of a little bit deeper into each and every one of those topics. But since you're you're so into it, how did you get into it? And how did you start and who taught you? I am actually a self-taught quilter, quilter although my mother taught me to sew, but I, I learned to quilt later on. So I always, I, I, I learned to sew when I was a kid, but I didn't learn to quilt until around the time I had children, which would have been about 20 years ago. Gotcha. Okay. So when you are saying the quilting part, cause I know you do obviously the designing, the piecing and the quilting, mm-hmm. do you mean you didn't start even piecing anything together until then or? Well, I did like, like a quilted tree skirt. I didn't really do quilts. Once I found quilting, I knew I was not going to be doing garments or anything that had to fit ever again because quilting is like artwork that just has to be flat. It's the best thing ever. And um, (laughs) so I pretty much abandoned everything else once I figured out quilting. Perfect. Well, so what is your first memory of being in front of a sewing machine and or your first project that you remember? I can remember I made a, a tree skirt for my mother that um, had angels on it and I decorated their faces with makeup and I used yarn for hair and I braided it. I remember mm-hmm. that. Um, I also made her um, a pink la- lace dress <laughs> that she actually wore, although later she told me she only wore it once. <laughs> so I, I, it was awful. I can't believe she wore it at all. Was it to like a special event or was it just so you could see her wear, you know, just so she I don't, I just think I always was making things. So I thought it was a good idea at the time. I was probably eight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I remember making a little doll kind of and doing the yarn braiding of the hair too. Also. Yeah. So maybe that's just one of the first projects for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but, kudos to moms for wearing that stuff though, right? Yes, wearing it and even still... To this day, if I sew something and I don't have a need for it, I pretty much just send it to my mom and she has kept everything for years. So I don't know what she does with all of them, but they're somewhere. (laughs) Um, Well, so what are you currently working on? Um, Well, this time of year, I'm working on fabric lines for next year. I'm working on new rulers to debut this summer at Bernina University with the dealers there. Mm -hmm. I'm working on the patterns that will go with the fabric for Benertex that's already designed for Spring Market and Bernini University. So all of that kind of this time of year. Gotcha. Okay. So when you are, so there's sort of three different things I want to talk about. Your pattern designing, your fabric lines, and rulers. When you are designing fabric, where do you get your inspiration from and how did you even get into designing fabric? Uh, When I first designed fabric, 
it must have been, it was almost 15 years ago, maybe a little bit less. Um, but I sent in a fabric um, collections that I had kind of just drawn up myself to a few different companies and I got a contract that way. So I actually did fabric before patterns, which I feel like is very unusual, particularly now when the industry has more fabric, um, just it's more saturated with fabric than it was at that time. So I did fabric first and then I did patterns from the fabric and I was asked to do books that first market where I had patterns. Um, so it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of built as I've gone, but as, as for um, fabric ideas, I don't know. I get inspired by a lot of things. I always sort of have a running list of maybe around a half a dozen collections I'm thinking of at any one time. And then you have to think, you know, depending on when the, the fabric's coming out, that may push ahead a Christmas collection or right. push um, like, for instance, we did this collection called winter games and it was sports figures. And the president of Benertex, David Lochner, actually pointed out that it was the Olympics that year. And so that was a good time oh, yeah. to do that. And, mm -hmm. and so sometimes the fabric company will have a good point as far as the marketing goes as to what should be scheduled when. So I pretty much come up with concepts, but then, um, you know, I might let them steer me in whatever direction they think is going to be good from a marketing perspective right. as to what I do first, second, third. Um, and then, um, but the fabric itself, when I draw the fabric, I pretty much, I, I, I put in a repeat. I do the color um, stories. There's a lot that gets thrown out in the process because mm -hmm. I think it's important not to get wedded to something right. because a lot of times your best prints are your mistakes that <laughs> happen when you're drawing other prints. Okay. So, um, but the, you know, I would send it all in as a collection. It's usually pretty specific. And then I work with the art director to really, um, you know, get the colors nailed and make sure that um, all the gradations are right, et cetera. Right. So when you're saying you draw them out, are you colored pencil and pen sketching this out? Or is there a program that you use? I use Illustrator and I draw on a graphics tablet. Okay. Gotcha. And then how many fabrics generally are in a collection do you have to think of well you know that's changing because i feel like stores want to be able to buy a collection you would you want to get your collection small enough that even a smaller store can buy it right so it's always a compromise between having enough prints that you can design quilts that look different when you compare them to each other right right but also are affordable still. So I would say my right. average collection is probably around 20 prints. Okay. But, you know, a, I could have a collection centered around Bernina University or that's um, has educational components that I'm using to promote features on Bernina's that extend beyond that because of the things that they have to accomplish within that collection, the educational purposes for that collection. Right. That makes sense. So when you are designing, say, the patterns that go with specific fabric lines, are you making a quilt with 20 plus prints or are you picking, how many would you pick from your collection for a specific pattern? Well, I'd say when I, when I design patterns, first of all, uh, say I have three to four patterns for a collection that come out. I, I want the patterns not to compete with each other, right? So I want mm -hmm. them to contrast with each other. So typically if I have an applique pattern, the other patterns will be pieced. If I have a small pattern, I'll make sure I have a large pattern, et cetera. And right. so 
Then going within that, I want to make sure that all the fabrics are featured on at least one quilt, but probably more than one. So if I have a dark background on one, I might have a light on the other because that's going to sell the collection more evenly in the store. Right. Um, than using the same background on all of those. But, you know, that's, again, that's part of designing a good fabric collection. It needs to be able to function that way. So you need to make sure your bases are covered in terms of lights and darks and mediums. And, you know, I guess I figure out the quilt design as I'm designing the fabric a lot of times. So I do it digitally Mm -hmm. because that lets me check the scale of the fabric, et cetera, the lights and darks. Right. Gotcha. So I'm just thinking of um, like personally what when I'm selecting fabric for a quilt, I always have a couple prints, but then there's definitely usually some solids in there as well. Is a solid ever something that gets added to a collection or it's just, you know, you know that there are solids out there that will probably match with everything you're making or how does that work? I just designed a line. Well, it actually came out in previous. I had a a selection called Celestial Lights and then another called Nightingale that featured this almost solid, and it was called Cotton Shot. Mm -hmm. It looks a lot like shot cotton, Mm -hmm. you know, with the different warped and and weft, Mm -hmm. but it is on traditional quilter's cotton. So Benertex decided to pick it up as um, a basics line. Okay. So it's not in the country yet. <laughs> I have little bits of it in my living room. Yeah. Um, but it, it it's something now that I have that. There's 50 colors. Oh, wow. Um, and it's coming out this spring. Now that I have that, I'll be able to draw from that and use that because it coordinates with all my other colors. Gotcha. In my quilting line. So I'll have that, but I don't. I don't have it at the moment. It's only in a few colors at the moment, but it's going to be a complete collection. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, So that sort of covers my main questions about fabric. Let's move on to rulers because I find rulers to be a very interesting one as well because I can't imagine trying to come up with new rulers. So how how do you do that and what is it that you do to design new rulers? Um, I think the rulers I'd want to use, and usually the rulers I want to use have a lot of markings on them. My rulers are known for having lots and lots and lots of markings, Um, and they also have a non-skid backing. But as far as ruler design goes, you know, it's ironic because I was an industrial design major, and then I never really did industrial design at all. I did multimedia design and graphic design, mm-hmm. um, and now I have rulers, which are just like industrial design. There you go. So, um, but I guess, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the shapes I want to make. I'm thinking about the need to minimally mark a quilt, you know, because we really don't know what these pens are going to do mm-hmm. over time. So I want to have as many markings that will be helpful on the rulers as I can to enable me not to have to mark the quilt. Right. Right. So um, when I'm looking at ruler shapes, the most important ones are always the basic ones, you know, the circles, the ovals, the the straight lines, things like that, I, I always feel are the must for any quilter. And then beyond that, there's just the fun ones, you know, um, I had a ribbon candy one this year. Ooh. Obviously, the ribbon candy was a huge hit. and um, But obviously, circles can do more designs than ribbon candy. But um, ribbon candy can be very difficult to execute in a, uh, a large scale. Yeah. So I think it, it answered a need in the market like that. But as far as, as designing rulers, um, 
I think about all the shapes that are so hard to free motion, and usually those are geometric shapes. And I design the rulers around those shapes that I want to quilt. And also, I should say, um, you know, when you're doing ruler work, you're limited by the size of ruler you can hold. So you have to think about, you know, if I have this large motif, how am I going to break it down so that I can actually hold the ruler comfortably and the ruler doesn't become too big. Right. To work, right. particularly on a domestic machine, but even on a long arm. Well, so I guess I, I should have prefaced this because, I mean, in my head, I knew what kind of rulers we were talking about. And I know you knew what kind we were talking about. <laughs> but we're talking about rulers that you quilt with, not what you're going to cut your fabric yes. a piece of quilt with. So mm-hmm. um, I guess what makes a ruler, a quilting ruler, a ruler versus a template? I don't know if that's even a thing. I think they're pretty much the same thing that people use those terms interchangeably. Okay. I didn't know if somebody was trying to search for one, if they could, you know, search for one over the other. Um, But then how did you get started with ruler quilting and how was that different from just or easier or harder than just regular free motion quilting? Okay. So um, ruler work, it actually comes from the long arm world to the domestic world, right? Mm -hmm. Because on a long arm, you don't have feed dogs. So if you don't have feed dogs, you have to make your straight line somehow. And even if you have a computerized long arm, you know, if you stitch from point A to point B, the chances are it's not going to be stitching over your seam. So what, um, what long arms or armors use are thick rulers or thick pieces of plastic that they can guide the machine uh, around. So they hold the ruler with one hand and they hold their machine with the other and they stitch around the ruler. And what started happening was as people started to see these quilts and shows, like the big scallop borders you might see Mm -hmm. quilted, people, you know, wanted to be able to do that on their domestic machine. So then that technique migrated to the domestic, but of course you have to execute a little differently. The designs are the same, but the way you actually hold the rulers is different on a domestic than on um, a long arm. So um, it kind of was one of those things that came from the long arm world and was adapted um, to the domestic world. It's a case of, in this case, you know, technology, the domestic machine technology is catching up with an aesthetic that was created by long arm quilters. Right. And did you start the circles back to the very beginning? Did you start quilting on a long arm or did you start quilting on your domestic? No, no, no. For years, 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 I quilted on a domestic, which, and, and now I have a long arm. Um, I have the Bernina Q24 and that's the machine that I'm a spokesperson for. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the, um, when I learned to quilt, it was on a domestic, which is really good because I use that in teaching all the time. I would say I probably teach more on a domestic than on long arms. Would you say that it's because most people have, like for sure have a domestic and maybe don't necessarily have access to a long arm? That, and you know, I teach mostly for Bernina dealers. So of course they're going to bring in people who they've sold domestic machines to. Right. Oh yeah. Makes sense. Um, I want to get to Bernina in a second, but your rulers that you design, so are you designing them for domestic, for long arm? Are they interchangeable between the two? Uh, so with rulers, you have to know the foot you have, mm-hmm. and you have to choose the ruler thickness to match your foot. Okay. So it, it it gets into, and different feet mount on different machines in different ways. So if you're on a long arm, you probably are using long arm rulers, which are the thickest rulers out there. They're, they're six millimeters, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And- 
Berninas with even domestic Berninas with 72 feet can, you can fit them behind the ruler behind the foot, which is what you want. But there are a lot of other brands of machines where if you took domestic machines that where if you took a long arm ruler and tried to fit it behind the foot, like think about a sewing machine with the snap on foot. Mm-hmm. If you tried to fit that ruler behind the foot, it's not going to fit. And so you need a thinner ruler. So all my rulers come as what's called low shank, which is about three millimeters thick, and mm-hmm. then long arm, which is about six millimeters thick. Um, there's other brands out there that also have a high shank thickness, which is somewhere in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if you have a high shank, you can get away with that long arm thickness. It just depends on how your foot mounts on your machine. So uh, your best course of action to know what, what thickness ruler you need is to go and ask your dealer, whatever brand you have, because they're going to know what thickness you can fit, fit behind the foot. Because it's not, it's not only a matter of what foot you have, it's how it mounts on your machine and how far the shaft of the machine sticks down into the foot, if that makes any right, sense. Right, yeah, it makes sense. I, I'm sitting here and my machine is sitting next to me. And so like, as you're talking, I had to look over at my machine. But yes, I think if anyone's um, struggling with that, just look at your machine and you'll it'll make sense. Um, So back to Bernina. So how did you get started with them and what is your role exactly? I was a brand ambassador for them for a long time and Mm -hmm. what they sometimes call them experts for their Q series. As I said, I also teach a lot of machine Mm -hmm. quilting and I pretty much only teach at Bernina dealers now just because it, I have a wait list with them and um, I'm their spokesperson. So yeah, I feel like it's so I, um, but I love their technology. I think nothing sews with that stitch quality. So I really love their machines. Perfect. If you had to compare the, I mean, in terms of machines you've used in the past, like what was say the first brand of machine you ever. Oh, I don't want to say that. I don't, I want to say like, okay, I want to, I use a lot of different machines Uh and I, so in sitting in front of me, I have a Viking machine, but my first ever machine that I bought when I was in college with like my only $90 I had was a like a very, very basic brother. And like, so I can think of, okay, here is something about the new Viking that I really, really like that maybe this basic model didn't have. So are there, I mean, in, within the cues. Oh yeah. If I would like favorite feature type things. Yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, I can use whatever thickness of rulers I want. Perfect. Okay. On my domestic. So I should say I, I have two seven series Berninas and a five series Bernina and I have the Q24 as well. Okay. Um, And um, so I can use whatever ruler thickness I want. Um, I think it has unparalleled stitch quality. I love the multifunction knobs because it lets me, as I stitch, change the stitch length and with which is particularly Ooh. nice for applique or specialty stitches without having to stop and go minus, 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 plus, plus, plus all the time. <laughs> I was just doing that this morning. I like, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of things I like about um, it's mm-hmm. extremely tolerant of threads. I love the dual feed and I have quite a collection of dual feed mm-hmm. feet. And then on the long arm side, um, that's, that's a whole, I love the stitch quality there again, too. It has stitch regulation mode. It it only threads, um, the only threadings in the front of the machine, so you don't have to go to the back. Okay. It has numeric stitch tension. I love everything about it. And so I also um, teach Art and Stitch sometimes, which is the design software that's included with their long arm. Oh, wow. Okay. And what is that? I'm not familiar with that. What does that allow you to do? So that is major long arm design software that's 
it, um, it's used for a lot of different brands of long arms. So if you wanted to computerize a pantograph or a repeating pattern to go across your quilt, mm -hmm. that would be software you can use to do that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I have another question about that in a second, but I want to get back. You said you have a, a 500 series or a 5 series, a 7 series. What is the difference between their series? Is it just one has you know a step up in features and price and all of that or what how are they different well yeah if you start up the seven and the eight series are are the biggest machines right there would be the top of the line the five and the sevens are very similar the big difference is the size okay. so when you think about it, a seven series is going to have a bigger throat space okay it's going to have a bigger embroidery hoop right right Eight, the eight series is even bigger than the seven series, but um, I do have two seven series um, because I need a backup with what I knew do. I need a backup machine if one's in the shop. And it, there are times when I'm getting ready for quilt market or something where I'll have all, and I'm doing embroidery yep. that I'll have all my machines running. Oh, gotcha. um, okay. So uh, I'll sometimes use it like that. But a five of series is a smaller um, seven series and now I have a five series that doesn't have dual feed on it but um now they do I, I just my five series is from a time when they didn't gotcha. um so they all the interface is very similar on all of them so it's easy to jump from one machine to another and I think the seven series in particular is easy um to learn to thread things like that it's it's just very simple you can have someone who comes over to your house to sew who sews on a different machine and they pick it up pretty quickly oh perfect nice so, okay um that those I like, but they're very reliable and I can, I usually use Aurifil thread, but really they're pretty yeah. tolerant to most threads. Good. Okay. Back to your being able to design a pantograph or something that's going to go over the entire quilt. Somebody who you obviously do your own quilting, you design rulers, so you can do, you know, say custom quilting and custom shapes. When would you pick custom quilting and doing your own ruler work quilting over an all over pantograph design? When it's not going to get lost and it's going to add something extra to the quilt. Okay. You know, because there's some quilts where the piecing is so intricate or the there's so much, usually it's that there's so much going on in the fabric that you won't even be able to see the quilting. Right. 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 And then I probably just put a pantograph on it, but I really do love custom quilting. If left to my own devices, I would custom quilt absolutely everything. But of course that takes time. Yeah. And usually I don't have time to custom quilt all the quilts that are going yeah. to quilt market. So I have to pick and choose. So it's always, um, I always add it to quilts when I think it's going to add another layer of design or another layer of interest that wouldn't be there otherwise. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Um, well, you mentioned, you know, sometimes your machines are in the shop. Uh, as a general rule, like maybe even Bernina has a suggestion or just somebody out there listening who has any brand of machine, how often do you take them in? Do you wait for there to be a sign that it needs to be taken in or do you just sort of uh, do usually, uh, usually once a year okay. um, for most people, um, you know, the big thing also about machines and particular like Bernina's <laughs> like to be oiled and you have to keep them clean and you're going to get better use out of them if you do that. And, yeah. and things you learn to do, like you, you know how you always, you clip the thread in the back of the machine when you're changing thread, but mm -hmm. then you pull it through to the front. Mm -hmm. um, simple things like that really help keep your machine in good health because you're not, the idea there is that you're not pulling the thread backwards in the tension disc and creating extra lint. Right. Um, so I'm pretty good about cleaning my machines and oiling my machines and changing my needles. Um, yep. 
but I would say at least every year. Gotcha. Oh, makes sense. I uh, I don't think I have a machine that requires oil that it says in the manual, but I'm not always as good about remembering to clean my machine, but I can 100% tell when it starts sounding different that that's what it needs. Yeah. Like hands down, and don't blow air into it, right? No, I, I have my little all my little, <laughs> all my little cleaning swabs, and I like I have the ones that come with the machine, and then I actually use it's like an eyebrow brush, like an eyebrow, you know, you get it at the cosmetic store, but it's, yeah, yeah, and that's perfect for getting a little lint out of there. It just has a longer handle, so go shop in the right. cosmetic section. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I use makeup brushes too, but yeah, I think keeping the machine clean is really important. I I would say I, I clean yeah. it every single time I sit down. Oh yeah. And then for uh, for oiling, I would say in general for now not all machines like you said your machine doesn't take oil. Not mm-hmm. all machines take oil. But if your machine takes oil, um I usually try to oil it at the beginning of the day rather than the ends because it's the movement of the hook that distributes the oil. Right. So you don't want to otherwise it's just dropping to the bottom of the machine at night sitting there right, right? but so do you worry about that getting transferred onto your fabric at all well you if you, if you put enough oil i guess you could but um <laughs> just dump the whole bottle in there <laughs> you're only putting a drop at a time so it's i i haven't had that problem okay good good to know if you were worried you could do a few stitches on it i, I usually start on a, a you know a little scrap of fabric anyway because if you're piecing that's what you do right um and honestly if i was quilting in the long arm which the bernina long arm also takes oil mm-hmm. um i am very likely to piece a bigger backing and then do little practice pieces on the sides because I like to warm up before I quilt it for every day. Right. That I don't like sense. to start quilting on the piece. Gotcha. That makes sense. That way, if you're going to have any oopses, hopefully they get worked out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, and it's good to, like, if you change your thread, you should check your tension, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know if there is dealer-specific oil or is, like, sewing machine oil pretty universal? No. There's different oils for different machines, okay. too. Good so yeah, you want to make sure you're getting the right oil. Perfect. Okay. Well, I will, I will jot that down as a note if I ever get a machine <laughs> that requires oil. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, so obviously we talked about the number of machines you have, domestic machines, long arm machines. Uh, so what exactly is your sewing setup like, your space and your... Well, people think you have like this sewing studio, but I do not because I, mm-hmm. I grew this business when my kids were little into something. So I am in my living room and I have mm-hmm. a few different standing tables that can be cranked down. And sometimes mm-hmm. they have sewing machines, but sometimes they have graphic tablets. And then the, the long arms in our master bedroom. <laughs> I have to admit, because it's the only way it's oh, nah. I, How did you finagle that? Because I'm not sure I'd be allowed to do that. Well, it's kind of like this dead space under a window because we live in North Carolina, but we have a fireplace in our master bedroom, which makes okay. absolutely no sense. So <laughs> it kind of divides up the room. So that's where there's a big amount of space. So okay. I just did it. Like this is my business. I don't have anywhere else to put it. There you go. I, I see. I've heard of. I've heard of people taking over garages and things like that. I'm also not sure I could get away with that. But I, yeah. I do have my own entire room in the house. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice, but I don't have that. So I have to do the, and I wouldn't put a computerized sewing machine out in, in a garage. That's true. Unless it's like heated unless and climate controlled. Air, and, you know, unless I had yeah. air conditioning. Everything's so computerized now. That's the thing. It's true. Did you ever, I know you don't want to mention brands from, from back in the day, but did you ever have a non-computerized machine or have they always all been computerized? When I, no, when I was growing up, I think we had a, I think we had a singer, but it wasn't like one of the super nice mm-hmm. singers. And 
I don't think it was computerized. It had like 20 different stitches to choose from. I don't think it was, but I couldn't tell you the model. I couldn't tell you much about it. Oh yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking even back to the machine that I learned was also a singer. I think that might be everybody's first machine at some point. And it was my mom's and it had just dials and I don't straight stitch, zigzag stitch could maybe do a buttonhole. Like that's it. No, nothing else to it. But as I said, like a lot of those things, when I found quilting, I was like, I'm not making a garment. I'm not hemming anything. I'm not making (laughs) curtains. I'm just making quilts. There you go. Perfect. Uh, Well, so what is, what is maybe the best quilting tip you've learned over the years or something that you would pass on to somebody just getting into quilting? Well, just getting into quilting, what you see is the jump stitches a lot. And honestly, you can see that even once you've quilted for a long time sometimes. But I'd Mm -hmm. say the thing when you're teaching someone how to quilt or when you're trying to learn how to quilt, I'd say two things. One is just the patience of not trying to do it all in a day. You'll have much better results if you do it 15 to 20 minutes, three Mm -hmm. to four times a week, right? Um, than if you try to do it all in a day. And when I teach classes, a lot of times we have to do it in a day because I'm there and we're teaching class, so you're going to be working all day. But that's ideally, that's not the best way to do it. You really want to, you know, be fresh each day. One day do loops, one day do your name, one day do a stick figure, you know, change it up constantly because you need the um, investment in time to get the eye-hand coordination. Right. And to not get frustrated with little things that probably happen along the way. Right. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, right? You're just trying to get, you need time under that machine to get used to moving it. And then the other thing I'd say, the jump stitches happen because people, when they're starting to quilt, um, they do their hands and their feet, they move them both at the same time. And of course there's a delay from the time you push the foot pedal to the time the needle goes up in the machine. So once the needle's rising, you're pushing really hard, right? And that's why you get that long jump stitch. So instead, think about moving your foot and then seeing the needle move before your hands move. Is there a, I'm assuming there's, you know, speed adjustments on all machines these days, but when you have a stitch regulator on there, how does that work with speed? Like, how can you slow it down? Well, when you're, when you have a stitch regulator on, like in the Q series or like um, the regular Berninas that have stitch regulation feet that you can put on the machine, it's, you almost disregard the sound. You know how, like when you're normally quilting, you're listening to the sound of the machine and trying to find a good speed for you. Yeah. Um, It's like with this, when the stitch regulator is on, it's going to speed up or slow down to match your movement. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you almost disregard, you just go. (laughs) Right. So Um, the machine does the rest. (laughs) Yeah. And it does the rest. And that it's an interesting thing with the long arm because you don't tend to get as many jump stitches. And the reason you don't is you, the button you push to turn the machine on is on the handle that you also push. And so there's like this natural pause that happens before you move the machine. And that's why you don't get the jump stitch. Whereas when your feet and your hands are involved on a domestic, you're more yeah. likely to forget and, and move your hands too fast for your oh, feet. That makes sense. I like it. Okay, perfect. Um, well, so I kind of want to end here with uh, some books that you have coming out. So you've written several books and you have another one coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about those and maybe what's upcoming? Yeah. So the ones that most people know me for are the free motion quilting idea book series. Mm-hmm. So there's two books in that series that are free motion based and one that's ruler work based. 
So there's the free motion quilting idea book, the original one that was designed, it showed you like 15 or 16 different quilt patterns and showed you how to put them in blocks. Mm -hmm. Then there was the ruler work quilting idea book, which took basic ruler shapes that were non-brand specific and showed, it was kind of like a brain dump of everything I could think of to do with basic (laughs) rulers. Uh And then there was the organic free motion quilting idea book, which was different free motion patterns, but organized by um, family, like, you know, feathers or water, things like that. So those are the three design books. And then the new one that you contacted me about, um, the Ultimate Guide to Ruler Work Quilting, Mm -hmm. um, that one is more of a tutorial-based one. So the other ones were more design-based. This one shows you how to hold the ruler to get successful ruler work quilting, whether you're on a domestic or you're on a long arm. Uh Um, And it's pretty much, instead of being like the design ones were all illustrator drawings, this one is all photographs. So um, it it was photographed by um, Edward Wieland of Edward uh, Edward Wieland Photography in Chicago. Uh And he came, we actually, when CNT approached me to do this book, um, they said, we really think there's space. I have an acquisitions um, editor over there I really trust. And she said, we think there's space to do this this book. Mm-hmm. And um, we want it to be more of a tutorial, like you're teaching a class. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, gosh, I don't know if I can fill 120 pages with what I say. And she said, no, no, you can. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of wrote it like I was teaching a class. You know, I was just going to ask that if you if you had to change that up at all, how you would describe something in person versus how you describe it in a written word that you're not sure how someone's going to interpret it. Well, because it's full of photographs. So after I wrote mm-hmm. it, we had a spreadsheet where I showed, you know, where all this stuff was. And we had a photographer come in at Bernina and take pictures of all the steps. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting because you have a lens between you and your hands, right? So I'm right. pretty sure at the end, he knew how to quilt by the end of it. Because <laughs> Good. he was just a little to the left, a little to the right. Uh-huh. Um, but we, so it's like a step-by-step, it's more of a tutorial than my other books, which were more design-based. Gotcha. Um, and honestly, that was the foresight of CNT asking for something like that. Well, good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad they did. <laughs> Well, so when, when does it come out? When can people? April, I'm not sure the exact date, but April this year, it should be out. So by spring quilt markets. So we should have book signings at quilt market, I would think. Perfect. Perfect. Well, so then um, somebody who has never done any kind of ruler work or free motion quilting, would they be able to get this new book that's coming out and then learn everything they need to know, then go back and get all of your design inspiration books and just become a master at quilting? Yes, of course. You always have to think you can do it. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, seriously, this is the tutorial and how it shows you how to, how I actually hold them, which honestly with ruler work, that's more the key to success than anything else. Is hold and how you- Once you know it for one ruler, you know it for everything. That's true. So it's not only holding, but I'm assuming moving too. So you don't, you mentioned the non-slip part, but I'm assuming there's a technique to making sure you're not moving what you don't want to move. While moving what you want to move. With ruler work on a domestic, you're actually moving the fabric with the ruler. So you have to have good coverage and be holding kind of everything at once. Right. Um, and that's kind of what it shows you how I hold it. Whereas on a long run, it's a little different because you're holding with one hand and driving the machine with the other. 
Perfect. So it covers everything. Mm. Hopefully. Yeah. But I do have, I do have um, a Facebook group called Quilting with Amanda Murphy and uh, I answer questions in there too. Oh, perfect. And we have a bio on you and also links to all of your social pages and websites and things like that. So that is one of them, correct? Yes. If it's not, we will add it for sure. Awesome. So no shortage of ways to find you, find your books and learn from you. So I want to thank you so much for, for chatting with me and sharing some of your, your knowledge and expertise on machines and fabric and rulers and patterns and all things quilting. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. And I'm sure we'll have you back on here later. You know, I'm sure you're going to write another book too, and we'll have to have you back. When that comes <laughs> out. So enjoy your evening and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye.